Good morning, Calvary. Please stand for the reading of God's word. It's found in Jeremiah 19, 1 through 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Saphon, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, it said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Praise to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your, with, with your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and place where I have banished you, in places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How y'all doing? Okay. Your muffled uh, voices through the masks. It's good to see you all this morning. And um, we are, uh, well, actually, before I get going here, let me just, uh, let me say, Nigel, it's a great job on announcements. You all, he was referring to a rock, paper, scissors game of who was going to have to do announcements. And he did not want to have to do announcements, but he did lose, as he said. But uh, he did a fine job, did he not, uh, doing announcements. So uh, it was good to have him here. And um, might be the last time you get applauded for announcements, but uh, it's fantastic. If you're new here, I met a few of you who are new uh, here, and uh, it's good to have you here. If you're uh, watching the live stream, perhaps you're new to the live stream as well, and we're glad to have you here. I'm going to do just a really kind of mini family chat here before I get started on our sermon this morning. Normally I would have a stool, but this is a mini family chat, so we're not going to pull out the stool for this this morning. But um, two things I want to just mention before we get into uh, our sermon. One is there's going to be a webinar next Sunday, and I'm going to actually mention that a bit more later in the sermon here. But 
Next Sunday night, 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to have a webinar related to some of the themes of what we're talking about here in the sermon this morning. And so uh, 7 o'clock next Sunday, there's going to be an email that's going to go out, uh, which will give more details about that. So be prepared uh, for that. Just watch your email. And then also, um, we are going to be doing communion the first Sundays of the month again, starting in September. So now that... Um, amen. So we're going to figure out how to do it here. We're working on that. And uh, so if you are present with us on Sunday morning, the first Sunday in September, we'll do communion here and uh, do that in a, in a safe way. If you are watching with the live stream, though, we want you to participate. And in the email that goes out tomorrow with details about uh, the uh, webinar, I'll provide some more direction, too, about how you can participate from home uh, in communion with that. So just be mindful of that. That'll be uh, not next Sunday, but next. Uh, so the first Sunday in September, we'll be back to our normal rhythms of communion on the first Sundays of the month. All right, so a few weeks ago, I mentioned that I was going to be doing a sermon on how to spiritually survive a global pandemic, and today is the day. I wasn't referring to how to physically survive a global pandemic. There's plenty of advice, advice in, the, uh, in the media and news about how to physically survive, all of it uh, competing and inconsistent, so I'll leave you to sort that out uh, in, in relation to you, what you think best. I was referring to spiritual uh, survival, and these, these are spiritually trying times. These are difficult times. It's been five months since the pandemic landed in Oak Park. And on the whole, I just have to say, I'm very proud of you all. I'm very proud of our staff and how we've done up to this point, navigating these last five months. So many of you are tuning in regularly to our live stream, and we're so glad uh, that you are joining us again this morning. And uh, many of you are staying engaged with your small groups. All the small groups had to move on uh, to Zoom platform, but I'm, I've heard good things about how you guys are sticking it out through small groups. You're staying faithful with your giving regularly, financially to the church, and uh, I don't know that we've actually ever said this, but giving this year is ahead of last year, which is fantastic and so encouraging and just a testimony to all the ways that you have faithfully continued to give. Many of you are staying connected with each other informally throughout the week, so uh, you have friends here at Calvary that you're seeing uh, for different reasons throughout the week. And I've even, as I just mentioned, I've met a number of new people who are new to Calvary. Uh, in the last, uh, I think it's three or four weeks that we've been doing the live stream here, I have met each week new people that are coming uh, new to Calvary. So it's, it's fantastic. But I'm also aware that there are many within our Calvary body, and I've spoken uh, with many of you, who are finding it hard to maintain your spiritual vitality. We're just out of our normal rhythms, and it's difficult. And I know it's been a challenge for many of you to regularly engage with the live feed, and uh, particularly if you have small kids. Uh, you know, when you would come into the service, you could drop your kids off in the child care, you know, but trying to watch a live feed in a living room with four children under the age of eight, like it's, that's complicated, I grant you, right? And so some of you, you're having a hard time with the live feed. Some of you I know have just reached the limits of your Zoom fatigue and you have bowed out of your small group because Zoom has continued, or your small group has continued in Zoom. Many 
uh, Calvary people haven't interacted with another person from Calvary in five months. And so it's a, this is a difficult season, and I am also aware that some of our folks have just simply quit church altogether. And I got a chart here. I was actually, uh, Chris Johns, he's our elder chair, he sent me this um, uh, yesterday. actually sent it out to the elders, but it fits so much with the sermon. I, I thought it's worth showing here, but it, it details, this is a Barna survey, and uh, I've got it here on my phone, so I'm going to look at it without having to turn over my shoulder. But um, this is a survey that Barna uh, has put together assessing Christian health over the last five months. And this is online church attendance among practicing Christians. So people that were attending church regularly before COVID-19, and then how are they doing since? And I think the text can maybe be a little tricky to read. So that first bar there, 35%, these are practicing Christians who are still and only attending their pre-COVID church. So 35% are still attending their pre-COVID church. 14% have switched churches during this season. Then this next line is the one that I'm most concerned about, have stopped attending church during COVID-19, 32%. So about a third of all practicing Christians have just quit church, according to this survey. The last bar there is folks that are viewing multiple churches online. So really the first bar are those who are attending their church online, the second bar who are attending another church, and the fourth bar who are doing kind of multiple. Those are all people that are still engaged with church in some way. But that third bar, 32%, almost a full third of practicing Christians have just quit church over the last five months. Now, I have to believe that Calvary is doing better than that. This survey wasn't a survey of Calvary, right? And uh, I don't know exactly how we're doing. We're doing our best to try to discern some of that and figure some of these things out. I think we're doing better than 32% quitting church. But, but I am concerned about the state of our church and how we're doing, right? And I don't have a romantic-sized view of this trial and our situation, that somehow, uh, you know, we, we can kind of romanticize trials as always leading to better and brighter futures. And sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. And falling away from the faith during a trial is a very real danger. This is something that we have to take seriously. So this morning, I want us to take stock of our situation and wisely and realistically plan for the coming months that are ahead of us. If you're new to Calvary, you know we've been working through a sermon series called The Story of the Bible and the Healing of the World. All things new, the story of the Bible and the healing of the world, moving through the the single overarching storyline in Scripture. Today's sermon is, in a way, still part of that sermon series, even if it's a bit out of order. We're going to skip ahead or fast forward, as it were, to later in the story, to a portion of the story that has more relevance for global pandemics. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you know that there are no global pandemics in the Bible, in the Bible's story. But later on in the story of Israel's history, which is kind of the principal character, the protagonist, really, of the, of the story, Israel is sent away into exile. They are taken 
captivity. It's what we've just read about. It's a very traumatic and difficult time for the nation of Israel. And there's some parallels, I think, between the experience that Israel had in captivity and that we're experiencing during this time of global pandemic. So our text, which has been read for us, is Jeremiah 1, or Jeremiah 29, rather, 1 through 14. So I encourage you to have that open uh, as we move through our sermon, whether on your phone I guess really on your phone is the only option because we've taken your Bibles away from you in the pews for safety reasons. So uh, on your phones, Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to describe the situation that Israel is facing here in this uh, point of history. And then I want to draw out two points of application for us as we consider our situation that we are facing here in this time of global pandemic. All right, so let's get our bearings in Israel's situation that Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 is referring to. All right, now as you're going to recall, if you've been around for the sermon series, or maybe you just know the story of the Bible, the Israelites entered into a covenant with God when they came out of the land of Egypt. That's way back in the book of Exodus. At that time, God had given them a code or a law called the Mosaic Law that was to govern their relationship and their actions and their ethical framework uh, in their relationship with God. Rejection of this covenant, rejection of these laws would lead to chastisement and punishment from God that would increase in proportion to their disobedience, eventually culminating in the final curse of the covenant, which would be exile from the land. So obedience to the law would bring blessing, disobedience would bring chastisement, ultimately culminating, if it was persistent disobedience, in exile. Well, in the days of Jeremiah, which is right around the 6th century A.D., the final curse of this covenant has come upon the nation of Israel. Israel's disobedience has persisted all throughout the age of the judges, all throughout the age of the kings, till finally God has sent them out of the land in exile. Now, if you remember your Jewish exiles, and I don't expect that you all do, there were actually, for uh, the southern tribes in Judah, there were actually two deportations of the Jews out of Jerusalem. In the first deportation, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, he comes into Jerusalem, he sacks the city, he gathers together a bunch of the royal family and a bunch of... uh, uh, tribute, and he goes back to Babylon, and he, he installs King Zedekiah, who is the uncle of the previous king. So Nebuchadnezzar has sacked the previous king, and he's put in his own vassal king, who is still in the royal family, but now it's Zedekiah is paying tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Zedekiah goes on, we read, to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes back in force, in earnest. He totally destroys the city, totally destroys the temple. The ark disappears. He takes all of the the bounty that's in the city, and he takes more uh, Jerusalem uh, citizens, and he goes, sends them back into exile as well. So this is after the first exile, before the city and the temple have been totally destroyed. This is when Jeremiah is writing. He's writing in between these two invasions. All right, back in chapter 25, it would be helpful to know that Jeremiah was prophesying that that these deportations would come. 
He was saying, he was kind of telegraphing the punch. This was going to happen. And he said that old Nebuchadnezzar was going to come into the city, sack the city, and that they would be in exile for 70 years. So he's telling the, uh, the folks in Jerusalem that this is going to happen. It's going to come for 70 years. So in our text today, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 3, we're reading the details about the situation that Jeremiah is in, that the exiles are in, about who's in charge in Israel at the time, King Zedekiah, and then how the letter that Jeremiah... Jeremiah actually was left back in Jerusalem, right, after this first deportation. So he's sending a letter now to the exiles that are in Babylon, and he's sent it on ahead... And so in verses 1 through 3, is, that's the details of how the letter gets from Jeremiah in Jerusalem all the way to the exiles in Babylon. All right. As we're going to see, the, the fact that they're in between these two invasions is going to have some relevance, but I want to focus our attention right now on what Jeremiah says in verses 4 through 7. Right? So in Jeremiah 4 through 7, or 29, 4 through 7, he passes along the word of the Lord to the exiles. And here's what God says to them. They're to build houses, they're to plant gardens, they're to get married, have children, marry off their children, and pray for the welfare of Babylon, which is the city that they have now uh, come to. Because their welfare as exiles is tied up in the welfare of of Babylon, their new home. In other words, God is saying, just settle in. You just got to settle into your new situation. Now, this message given by God through Jeremiah to the exiles could be taken, I think it was taken, in two different ways. Similar to like a splash of cold water can be taken in two different ways. My father-in-law Uh, was trying to get my brother-in-law out of bed when my brother-in-law was a young man. And my father-in-law said to him, if you're not out of bed by X time, I'm going to throw cold water on your face in the morning. And somehow, this is legend in the family, but somehow my father-in-law, he actually did this at one point, threw a cup of cold water on my brother-in-law's face uh, in the morning to get him out of bed. That was not a refreshing moment of cup of cold water, right? No one wants a cup of cold water splashed on their face in the morning. But then there were other days in my past, where a cup of cold water is so refreshing, right? Working as I did summer construction jobs to just put the hose over your head in the middle of a workday and just let the cold water run all over you. That's so refreshing, right? So cold water, a splash of cold water can either be refreshing or it can be bracing, right? I think this word from the Lord to the exiles in Babylon was simultaneously bracing and refreshing. So I want to look at it from both of these perspectives. So first, I want to look at this, these verses, particularly 4 through 7, as kind of a, a bracing effect, a bracing cup of cold water. Jeremiah is passing on word from the Lord that is calling the exiles to long-term activities. God is not saying, set up a tent and go visit the market. He's saying, build a house and plant your own gardens. In other words, this is not a short trial. This is a long trial. No doubt the change from Jerusalem to Babylon was destabilizing to the Israelites. 
And no doubt many of them had not come fully to terms with their new reality. Likely they hoped that things would somehow go back to normal, that the captivity wouldn't last forever. After all, wasn't there still on David's throne in Jerusalem a Jewish king? Even if he was a vassal king, there still was something to go back to. And if we continued reading through chapter 29, and you can see it here in verses um, 8, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Well, we don't know exactly what they were deceiving them about, but we read later in the chapter, these prophets and these diviners, these Jewish prophets and diviners were telling the exiles, this is going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. And God is saying, don't listen to them. Build houses, plant gardens, get married, just settle in. This isn't going over. It's not going away soon. So no doubt there were some who wanted this to be true, that it was going to end soon. But Jeremiah knows from God, no less, that there are 70 years of this exile. They're not going back to normal, not anytime soon. Indeed, for most of them, this is the new normal. Maybe their grandkids will go back to Jerusalem back to the life they once had, but that's nearly two whole generations away. Jeremiah, in calling them to such long-term activities like house building, garden planting, marriage, childbearing, is saying you've got to come to terms with your new reality. This is not ending anytime soon. Settle in, make yourself at home. And of course, that wasn't a message that they wanted to hear. They didn't want to settle into new homes. They wanted their old homes. They wanted life to go back to normal, to build homes, to plant gardens, to get married, to have children. That was like tacitly admitting that life had irrevocably changed for them. They were being asked to come to terms with something that they did not want to come to terms with. And so I think Jeremiah's message would have been on one hand like this unwanted splash of cold water in the face, like smelling salts under the nose. It was waking them up to a reality that they did not want to accept. God was saying, come to terms with your new reality. Don't just close your eyes and wish it all away. Don't think it's going to be over in just a few days. This is your new life. You've got to settle in. So let me take a moment here then and splash a little cold water in our faces. Short of a miracle, we are going to be in this same holding pattern for probably the better part of another year. By best estimates, a vaccine is not showing up until sometime next summer. Maybe it'll come earlier, likely not. We're in this holding pattern for probably another year. Sometimes when we're in tough spots, we can just gut it out because it's going to be over quickly. We just grit our teeth and we get through it. But sometimes we need to take a deep breath, we need to exhale slowly and adjust to the reality of the situation. And that's the first word I think the Lord would have for us in the situation that we're facing here in COVID-19. Like the Israelites in Babylon, we need to face the reality of our time and of our future. We need to come to terms with the likelihood that things may not change 
for us in any substantial way anytime soon. And as such, we need to consider carefully our plans for our spiritual health and activity over this past year, or over this coming year, rather. Six months ago, before this whole started, we had regular spiritual rhythms that helped nourish our faith. But all of those rhythms have been whacked, have been knocked out of whack. We've been taken off, metaphorically, to Babylon. And wishing that it wasn't so and that we weren't here or refusing to come to terms with this isn't going to be in our spiritual best interest. So let me encourage you all, those here in this room, those of you watching, let me encourage all of us to take an assessment of our current spiritual rhythms and ask ourselves, are those rhythms sufficient for another year of what we've been in? We've already been in it five months. We've got probably another year. Many of us need to find new spiritual rhythms that will sustain us through the coming year. Now, I know that many of you are doing the absolute best that you can. This is a hard season. Neither I nor the Lord, I think, would ask any more from you than what you can do. And we as a ministry staff, we are continually working and thinking and talking and having conversations and praying about how we can best minister the life-giving hope of the gospel to you all in the midst of this difficult time. But here's the thing. If you find yourself slipping a bit spiritually, and in the back of your mind, you're comforting yourself with the vague idea that your slippage is okay because, after all, things will go back to normal soon. Let me disabuse you of that almost certainly incorrect idea. If you've stepped back from some of your typical life-giving spiritual activities because those activities are harder than they used to be, let me encourage you to dig a little deeper. The cookies are not on the bottom shelf anymore, and they're not going to be on the bottom shelf anytime soon. We all have to work a bit harder for our spiritual food with a bit more intentionality and earnestness than we did five or six months ago. If you do not have regular rhythms of personal Bible reading and prayer, let me encourage you to start there at that point. That's something that we all should be doing anyway, but even more so now. And I get that we're all tired of Zoom. I am tired of Zoom. You are tired of Zoom. I get that. Some of you don't like being on camera in Zoom meetings. I get all that. But if you can figure out how to gut through Zoom for work, then perhaps you can figure out how to gut through Zoom for small group. And I totally get that the live stream is not ideal, especially if you have little kids. I absolutely get that, and I know that there are not any easy answers for that, but I can just say that stepping away from church services for a year and a half can't be your answer to the challenge of children in the live stream. I'm not exactly sure what the answer is, but I know that that can't be the answer. 
just can't be where you land the plane. I do not come this morning with judgment. Zero judgment. I love you all, truly. I really do. This is a hard season. This is a global pandemic, right? This is a challenge. This is not, this is not something any of us have been in before, not something our parents or our grandparents have been Like, this is a hard season. And I'm not here to chastise anyone or to try to guilt anyone into doing something that they can't possibly do. What I'm saying is that we have to have a better plan than just holding our breath for a year and a half. It just can't be our plan. We're going to pass out if that's our plan. So I'm going to be doing this Zoom seminar next Sunday evening in which I want to try to offer as much practical advice about how to survive the next year of this global pandemic spiritually, try to give as many tangible steps. I don't think that I've got all the answers. Maybe there'll be some other staff, I haven't talked to them yet, that will participate in that with me about how best uh, to give advice to all of us. So keep an eye out for that. So I feel like I've more just splashed water in your faces without actually giving you a lot of steps about how to resolve these things. But for now, I just want to splash the cold water and wake us up to the situation. Some of us perhaps needed that. But enough of the bracing splash of cold water. Some of us don't need a bracing splash of cold water. We were already awake and we were already terrified right, of the global pandemic, right? And so we weren't living in denial. We just, you know, we don't know where to go forward. So let's read these words now as words of refreshment and words of hope and comfort. So same verses, same perspective, but now we're not slumbering to reality. We're very awake to reality. How do we interpret these words? The Israelites have just had their entire world turned upside down. And some of you have been there, almost in the exact similar situation of the Israelites. You've told me stories about how you've had to flee from your country and your home and everything that you ever knew. And if that is your story, then you know what it's like to have to leave home and just all the, all the disorientation that, that, comes, that comes with that. And I suppose that those of us who haven't had that experience, we can imagine just how disorienting that would be. And it must have seemed to them in Babylon under divine punishment, having moved all the way to the very ends of the covenantal curses, that all their hope for the future was gone. And yet it wasn't. It wasn't gone. And I think that was God's most important message to the Israelites in their time of captivity. The exile was not going to be forever. It was not the end of the people of God. God would bring them back to the land when their time was over. And during their time of exile, God would continue to care for them and to watch over them. Their lives were not over. Just because they weren't going home right away, it didn't mean that their lives were over. They could still build houses and plant gardens and get married and have children and grandchildren and even better. God was still willing to listen to their prayers and to care for them. Indeed, He encourages them to pray, not only for themselves, but also to pray even for the city into which they have gone, for the well-being of this new city. God is still very present with them in the midst of their calamity. He still cares, He still loves, and He still has plans for them. Listen to what, again, to the words that He says here in verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 11. 
says, for I, or we can back up to verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In the midst of their ruin, amidst the dregs of their curse, exiled in Babylon, God still intends for them a future and a hope. Such good news. And in the hope of that future, they're to settle in and they're to make the most of their new lives. So let me pour some of that cool, refreshing hope on our hot, dusty heads this morning. This is a hard time, to be sure. But God has not sent us into exile, into a pandemic, as it were, and forgotten us. I think sometimes, for some of us, we don't want to face the future because we can't imagine a future of hope or a future of blessing. The only future that we can imagine is a future full of fear and hopelessness, and so we look away from the future. We spend our lives pining away for the past, or we indulge ourselves in the present. Anything to not have to face the future. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's not even how you operate in life or how you operate related to the global pandemic, but it's just how you operate in life. You just don't look to the future because the future seems too scary. But the Israelites didn't need to look away from their future, and neither do we. This global pandemic did not catch God off guard. It wasn't as though sometime late in 2019, some uh, stressed-out angel went running into the throne room to tell God that they had discovered some, some pandemic that was going to strike the world, and then there was a flurry of paperwork, and the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son all jumped into action and tried to figure out what to do. God knows exactly what He's doing. He knows exactly what He's doing. This whole pandemic isn't just rotten luck or some unfortunate twist of historical fate. Jesus taught us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of our Father. How much less a global pandemic? The Father is still building our eternal home. The Lord Jesus still sits Upon his eternal throne, the Holy Spirit still moves along the secret paths and in the hearts of God's people, and the church still advances victoriously upon the gates of hell. So if you are discouraged this morning, whether related to the global pandemic or just related to your own personal pandemic and your future, be comforted with the truth that God knows what he's about. And he's not asking us to simply wait this thing out. He's asking us to make the most of this time, to build new spiritual homes, to plant new spiritual gardens, to start new spiritual families. He's asking us to keep praying for ourselves, for our community. Craig Moore, one of our elders, we were discussing this uh, at one of our elder meetings just this last week, and uh, 
he made this comment. He said, I don't want to get to the other side of this pandemic and still be the exact same person I was when it started. That's exactly right. Can you imagine going through all of this and nothing is gained? We go through all of this as a church, and as individuals, and we have nothing to show for it. What a waste of a trial. What a waste of a global pandemic. Look again at what God is saying to the Israelites in verses 12 and then 13. He says, then after this whole thing is over, after I've brought you back, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The good news about Israel's situation is that God wasn't just going to bring them back to normal. He was going to take them forward. The whole reason that they had gone into exile is because they hadn't been seeking after God. They hadn't been looking to God. They hadn't been giving their, seeking with Him with their whole hearts. But now through the exile, God is saying, I'm going to bring you to a new place of spiritual intimacy with me. And in fact, to fast forward more into the story of the Bible, this is how it turns out. That the Israelites, through the days they left Egypt, all the way up to this point, they had never ceased to worship the pagan deities. They had always been messing around with pagan deities. But after the exile, this 70-year timeout, they're done with pagan deities. They do not go back to the pagan deities. This is a sanctifying time for the people of Israel. Craig went on to say, he says this, he said, I'm always praying, God, what do you want to teach me during this time? I think that's the right prayer for us to be thinking, the right prayer for us to be praying during this time. What do you want to teach me, Lord, during this time? Let's pray that same prayer. What does God want to teach me, your pastor, father of my children, husband of my wife? What does He want to teach me during this time? What does He want to teach you during this time, personally? He wants to teach you something. What does He want to teach all of us together, collectively, as a church during this time? Let's not waste this trial. Let's not be asleep to its reality, but let's not despair of its reality. God wants to teach us something, both individually and corporately. May He give us voices to ask and ears to hear. Let's continue to long for the days, pray for the days, when we can re-engage with our faith and each other in easier times. But at the same time, let's be reminded that even now, God loves us, He's working for our good, and He is inviting us to beautify this season that we're in. Amen? God, thank You for Your faithfulness to us in the midst of our exile. Uh, so many of us, we have our own personal exiles. These times when, quite apart from global pandemics, we wander away from You and we come under Your discipline Perhaps it's not even poor choices that we have made. It is just trials that have come about in life. 
But God, I pray that you would help us to look to you in the midst of those trials, to find what it is that you want us to learn, to grow in our capacity, that we would beautify the times that you have given us, and we would look to the future with hope. God, help us to look to the future with hope, believing and trusting that you love us and you care for us. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen.